0: It needs to be a whole benefit-driven conversation rather than a technology-driven conversation.
1: Hi, I'm Duncan Pryor, digital transformation consultant and host of the Making Things Work podcast. I love looking for innovative and creative ways to make work better so that we can get the balance right in our lives and have seen how leadership and teams can accomplish that. In this podcast series, we meet a group of executive leaders to understand what leadership means to them and their approach to delivering transformation and change in the workplace so that teams achieve great things and people see their careers flourish. Today, I'm talking with Ben Johnson, CEO of BML Digital, which helps companies transform for the digital age. Hi there, Ben. I saw a post yesterday that you shared, and it was about the biggest mistakes companies make when looking to make a digital transformation is to transform the now rather than to transform the next. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
0: Sure. So I think there's a problem where people are always trying to catch up. They think that if they solve the problem that's there now, then that's going to put them in a good place. But the reality is that when we do that, we end up still behind. So we're still chasing our tails without taking a holistic view of where you actually need to be in the future all you're ever doing is catching up with the present and I think you end up with something that is fit for purpose for now but then you find yourself in a cycle of investment that never ends because six months down the line your competitors were actually looking at the future and they're well ahead of you already and it just becomes a Cycle of investment that gets ever more expensive just trying to play catch up. So, the now is almost irrelevant. You need to look to the future. What does the future business model look like? What are our competitors likely to be doing that we can actually do more quickly than them so that we can get first mover advantage? What are the opportunities with new technology that we can bring into the market? If you're you know, a builder's merchants, which is a traditional business, for example, that's great and you can innovate to a degree on the shop floor. But actually, what can you do with augmented reality and virtual reality? How is that going to integrate with your supply chain? How can you actually start using things like building information modeling, which are being used heavily in other countries and will be used heavily in this country with digital twins? And, you know, there's all sorts of pieces that you can start building into that And if you don't look at that, all you've got is just a bit of a shinier existing model, which does not really lend to moving you forward within your market space, because all you're doing really is keeping up with the Joneses at that point.
1: Yes, it's a great example. Why do you think that that is, though, that companies are getting themselves into that sort of situation?
0: I think there's a lot of fear, to be honest. I think fear of change. I when you're looking at doing digital transformation, people are fearful of change. You know, you're, you're going into organizations with often pretty established business models that have served them well for the last 10, 20, 50 years in a lot of cases. You have a lot of incumbent staff who are completely entrenched within that market. They've not really worked in any other markets, so they don't have any Reference points for really establishing innovation. Their thought process is very much constrained by their current market, which means that they aren't able to take advantage of a lot of the things that are happening elsewhere. Um, And I think ultimately people get worried, understandably, in some cases, because they are being asked to step into a world that they don't understand. And if you don't bring people along, on that journey then that's a bit terrifying to people because they suddenly start questioning where their value is in that new world Yep. a place within it at which point then you get to increased resistance and you get well not invented here syndrome or you get a that'll never work syndrome or that's not what our customers want without actually any data to back that up. I think one of the ways that We've always tried to move that forward is to move it onto a data based conversation. So, to actually get things out to market quickly and try it with customers, actually get that feedback, and then use that data to drive the conversation. So, moving it from anecdotal or a gut feeling model into a data based model where we can actually make informed decisions about investment and where the right investment is uh, based on accurate market data rather than bob in distributions gut feeling of his pet project for the last 20 years that he's really wanted to get off the ground but actually you go out to market and validate with the market and no customers want it
1: so there's that interesting balance isn't there as you said there between business and its customer needs and then the staff who are actually fulfilling what needs to happen it's almost two conflicting things i think you make an interesting point there
0: it's really difficult and i think there's a whole piece around cultural change that people often forget you know it's all well and good that we can put technology in but really this is not about technical change most of the time this is you know we know that we've got clever technology and that we can do all sorts of very clever things these days but without actually bringing the internal staff along on that journey um, without actually bringing your customers along on that journey because going back to that sort of builders merchants example you've got to make sure that you actually bring your customers along on the right journey as well because that marketplace will absolutely be evolving and you get younger people coming into that market but you're still going to have your 50 60 year old builder you've got to make sure that he's able to still comfortably access your products and services without feeling alienated So there is a balance. You can't just suddenly say, right, we're going to do everything through VR now and um, from next week we won't have any branches. You know That's really not going to help anyone because actually what Dave really wants is to go in every Tuesday and have a bacon sandwich and a chat and um, pick up some timber. And he, he doesn't want to lose that connection either and he feels value in that connection. So there's a real balancing act, I think, between how far you go but you do also need to bring the next generation through as well. You really need to look at a kind of digital by choice model where you're completely multi-channel, but one of those multi-channels could be a branch or it could be you know, a telephone call. Or I think when we talk about multi-channel, people often talk about, oh, yeah, we've got to have a web and we've got to have an app and we've got to have all of this sort of stuff. That's fine. And you do have to have those things and you have to have business-to-business connectors and so on. But, you know, multi-channel means everything, you know, from IoT to phone calls to branches, if you're a retailer of some shape or form. yep. And without understanding all of those multiple channels, then you can't really transform them without understanding your customer behaviors within those channels. Yep. And then you end up potentially alienating some core demographics. You really don't want to because they they were your loyal customers. Suddenly they're not because they don't feel they've been taken with you.
1: Yeah, fascinating. So then within the organization, there's a lot of thoughts and ideas there. How do you go about explaining all those uh, concepts to the staff in an attempt to bring them along on the journey?
0: Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I always try and be completely non-technical. Actually, even forgetting about technology, I think when we talk about transformation, you also talk about agile transformation and how you're trying to get to market quicker and you get sort of sucked into this whole world of epics and stories and story points and velocity and you know all of these sort of terms that are very familiar to anyone who's involved in agile but actually if you try and go out to the business and say this is now how we're going to be delivering stuff you're making assumptions that they know what you're talking about and also You make them think that they are alienated in some ways because they feel like they're having something done to them. And I don't think people like having things done to them. So what we've tried to do in most cases is completely take that language out of how we're communicating. So if we talk about, I mean, I'll use Agile as an example because I think it's quite a reasonable way of explaining the concepts, but Agile is a delivery methodology which needs to apply to the business as well. But what the business don't need to know is all of the detail. What they need to know is, look, we're going to do iterations. We're going to deliver stuff every couple of weeks. Um, You're going to be heavily involved in the team that delivers it, and you're going to help drive that, and you're going to be able to make decisions about when we do stuff. And then we're going to get it in hand to customers. You know, that sort of story is much more compelling. You know, you're giving them ownership. They don't feel like they're having the IT team doing agile to them. You're actually explaining to them the value to them of how you're going to get stuff in the hands of customers, of how they're going to be owning that, and how they're going to have complete transparency and visibility and all these lovely things that it gives you, but without going down to that level of, oh, well, you actually need a certification in this as well. Because I think that you're just driving people away right from the start, particularly in more traditional organizations that aren't used to that way of working, um, where you really, really need to bring people along on that journey rather than alienate them very early on. I think you can then apply that to technology as well. Do those people care about the technology? I'd argue in most cases no. Why do I care whether it's an ERP, an Oracle database, or a hole in the ground? It doesn't really it doesn't really matter. <laughs> what is that gonna do for my business? And I think once you start breaking it out into the business benefits you can say look we are going to put some building blocks in place that will allow us to do this it'll allow us to do it quickly It'll allow us to go to market quickly the technology underpinning it we're going to put that in place but this is the benefits that you will get from it and it needs to be a whole benefit driven conversation rather than a technology driven conversation frankly however much we might like to think if we're technologists or architects and that sort of thing no one really cares <laughs> um, yeah does it work and does it deliver business benefits? If um, if it does both of those things, really, your person who's been in the business for 20 years isn't going to care much beyond that.
1: Yeah. On that note, you've got the conversation going, you've got the business engaged. You could still end up building today rather than tomorrow. How do you then make sure that you get the business engagement and what the outcome is something that's uh, built for the future of the business?
0: So I think there's two parts to that. There are always fundamental building blocks that need to be put in place. You, know, you do need to have some modern technology that allows you to switch in and switch out. You know, you're probably going to need product information management, for example. So you'll probably mm-hmm. need an enterprise solution for that put in place. So that gives you a building block for that. Once you've started decoupling your architecture and you have your microservices layer or your API layer, you've got your security layer, and then you've got your components all traveling through that, it means that you can start swapping out those components as needed. Um, So you are insulating yourself from future changes where you may want to plug other things in or swap things out. Um, So I think that architectural approach of highly componentized models does really help insulate you going forward into the future. So it kind of gives you the now and the ability to move into the future. I think the other thing is there's a huge amount of knowledge and skill out there that people will happily work you on. If you're a large enterprise, you've got a lot of partners, probably, or you've got a roster of three or four partners, and they're going to have tens of thousands of people all doing technology um, and all doing interesting things in different spaces. Leverage it. Get a either a partner board or get you know get them in on a monthly basis and say, okay, what's the really cool stuff you're working on at the moment? Let's have a look. Let's see if there's something here that we could actually trial with customers. Does any of this stuff fix a problem? Or I think even more useful is to go out to your partners and say, hey, look, we've got this business problem. What do you think might be a way out in the market to solve this? Come back to us, present to us and actually work together as partners as well. Come in and work through it with us and this could become a you know innovation pilot which we can then get out try in the marketplace see if it gets any traction and then industrialize it after that and move it on to our kind of core platforms as a way of getting again back to that data-based decision-making process get something out quick but leverage all of your partnerships all of your external knowledge because most organizations who aren't technology companies aren't technology companies. They need to be able to really trust other experts. And a lot of this is around trust, I think. And and recognize that although those companies would also be trying to make sales and revenue long term, it's in their interest to be able to demonstrate thought leadership.
1: It's interesting you say that with the partnership side of it. All too often, it's very easy to lock onto the commercials without really exploring the mutual benefits that are available for both parties.
0: Exactly. And then, right, let's pick off this possibility because we think actually that's got the most traction. Let's do something with it quickly. Let's get it out in the hands of some customers. Let's just see what happens. And I think you can do that cheaply. You can get data back from it from your customers, and you can then decide whether you want to invest rather than saying, right, we're going to do this. We're going to put £10 million into it, and it's definitely going to work. And then three years later, you find out that, oh, maybe not. Actually, the market's moved on. No one's interested anymore you can actually get out there, you can spend 50,000, get all of the market data back from your customers and end up with a, a proper strategic approach that is completely customer-led.
1: Fascinating. So I wanted to ask you on a personal note, what is it that uh, that you get excited about with respect to digital transformation and working with customers on all these possibilities?
0: It's a good question. And I do still get excited about this because I think it's, it's still fascinating how much yes. there is still to do. I think there are so many organizations that still have so much opportunity and need so much help and i think going into sort of more traditional organizations and really seeing how you can move that sort of organization forward to come out the other side of you know what they've even thought was possible that eye opening moment when you first deliver something through that transformation program whatever that may be whether it's a new product into the market or it's a internal automation of a process which you know like the accounts receivable process that has been very manual and suddenly you've automated that and you've suddenly made their lives so much easier and so much accurate and they've got cash in the bank and you know all all those sorts of things that are still there to be done yeah i think people think oh there's all these organizations they're also on top of all of this but most of them aren't i think if you go to ASOS or something like that, they probably are. You know, there's probably very small incremental changes that you can make there. Um, And you'd be making small point percentage changes to the model. But most other more traditional organizations aren't in that space. They still need help and a lot of help. I still get excited going into those organizations and just seeing those possibilities and then really helping execute them as well. And seeing the output of that, you can make change very, very quickly in some of these organisations. That's still genuinely exciting. And that's everything from culture, doing organisational change, getting everybody moving in a different direction, through to the technology platforms, through to innovation, through to the processes internally, getting all of that aligned. That I love those big challenges of turn an ocean liner, but turn it quickly and yeah. get it broken down into little speedboats what would be that one takeaway that you would ask uh,
1: listeners to get from the episode today?
0: Go for data, stop making decisions with your gut, get as much data as you can to help inform your decisions as early as possible, because without that, you're just guessing. And if you're guessing, you're going to be wrong a lot of the time. And that is not sensible business. It's not sensible investment strategy. It's not a sensible marketplace strategy. So get out to your customers as early as possible, get something in their hands, get data back from them, and they'll tell you what they think. They'll be very honest. It's either a great idea or it's an average idea which you may want to put on the back burner, or it's an absolutely terrible idea. That's fine. Then you've just saved yourself a load of investment. Whatever the answer is, it's going to help your investment strategy going forward, and it's going to help you grow as an organization rapidly rather than getting stuck on multi-year projects, which, frankly, you really don't know what the business ROI is on those. And it's very, very difficult to quantify in most cases.
1: Going back to the people within the organization who had some success getting the people to come with you by them seeing that feedback from... Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, In multiple, very large organizations, yes. Yeah. And uh, which I won't mention here, but I'm sure people can figure out some of those organisations if they like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But a genuine transformational change in some organisations that you wouldn't believe were capable of change.
1: You say on the website, digital transformation isn't rocket science, But even when it is, which I really like that quote. What's your thinking behind that statement?
0: I think what I was trying to say by that is that a lot of people make this sound really complicated. But actually, once you start breaking these things down, it doesn't need to be overly complicated. You can work through a process. You can identify where the key challenges are. And there are ways of solving those key challenges. And there are sometimes going to be really complex ones, um, hence the except when it is. But even then, at least you can identify those by going through the process and understanding where your biggest pain points are going to be. And you can choose whether you address those early or not. And I think it's important to make those informed decisions. So I think the process that we tend to go through will highlight where it's going to be difficult. And generally, unless that's a critical function or a critical part of the process, you may say, look, let's get some early incremental wins in the process So that we can demonstrate value quickly, so that people understand the process, so that people understand why we're doing this and what it means to the business and understand the value that's being generated, which then actually helps you eat away at probably those more challenging problems. So you can start solving problems, you can start delivering value without necessarily having to address some of the bigger things straight away. But then yep. you have got everybody then going in the same direction by the time you come to the bigger things, which makes those things much easier to solve. So yep. it becomes an incremental journey for everyone.
1: Yes. And then you get the whole program back down onto the ground yeah. uh, in a practical way. Yes. People can often see with a, a digital transformation that the result is that implementation of a system that's the first version and it's a great success. But what we need to do is really maintain that momentum and then bring about the cultural change that goes with that.
0: Is that something that you see on your travels? Cultural change is critical to all of this. Technology is just technology. It will evolve and you can do it well or you can do it badly. But if you don't have the cultural shift for everybody to start really being focused on customer value, outcomes, business benefit, away from the sort of more traditional internally facing siloed organizations that a lot of people work within you really are fighting an uphill battle because you'll you'll just never get to realize any of those benefits if you don't bring those people along how can listeners uh, connect with you ben linkedin is probably the best way yeah bml digital on linkedin Thanks very
1: much for that, Ben. It's been uh, really great to talk to you today and best wishes for the future.
0: Thanks very much, Duncan. Good to talk.
1: This podcast series is produced by Mark Gardner and Catherine Cunning at Oxford Sound Studios, Oxford, UK.